Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Okay, all right. Welcome to church. Thanks for having me back at uh, Renovation. It's good to be here. It's actually a miracle that I'm here. Let me tell you why that's a miracle. A couple of years ago, uh, I had spoken here, um, and then I had lunch with David Soren, your pastor, after that, uh, the next week after that, and at Subway as he gets his his plain ham sandwich, just like he does every single time there. Um, he said to me, he said, great job, Mark. I hope you enjoyed your last time at renovation. And I looked at him and I'm like, you know, sometimes David's a little hard to read. And so I, I was like, what did I do? You know, like, was, did I speak heresy? Did I offend somebody? And he made me, you know, anxious in that moment. And then he said to me, you went five minutes over. So, uh, Forget it, you know. And so it, I, I've been praying for David for years now and asking that the Lord would change his heart. And I got an email a couple of months ago saying, would you come speak at Renovation? I said, the Lord answers prayers because this hard-hearted man has invited me back <laughs> to speak. And so I'm grateful to be here. It's good to be back at, at Renovation Church. I'm at kind of our sister church, your sister church in, uh, in Ramsey. And uh, I want to speak to you this morning um, about something that, that God's been teaching me in the last year especially. Um, this is something that uh, I think can be applicable to you, whether you, uh, maybe you've been at church your whole life. Like, you've, you literally haven't missed a Sunday. You've always been involved in church. Maybe you're kind of checking out the whole religion thing, seeing why a church would ever meet in a school. Or maybe you got tricked into being here. Somebody told you we were going to breakfast. They said, meet you at North Point Elementary School, and uh, all of a sudden you're in here. So whatever your reason is for being here, uh, I want us, all of us, I hope, by the end of this, um, to believe with me that we can pray for a change. I'm going to tell you a story quick about my, my daughter. Um, and as you're going, uh, I want you to open up your Bibles with me to um, Psalm 127, right smack dab in the middle of your Bible, if you could find it with me there, Psalm 127. I have three children, uh, four, two, and a few months old. And, uh, but I got a picture behind me of my girl and, and my boy. So this is Lily in the front. She, her name is Liliana, and she's two, and she is my spitfire. Uh, I don't know if you have one of those at your house, but she's mine. And so my older boy is chill and relaxed, but the middle girl is off the charts, okay? She's going to be super fun. She is super fun, but she's also crazy. And so I don't know if you have one of those at your house. But What's been happening recently with my daughter is she uses this phrase a lot, okay? And um, it goes like this. She says to me, she says, I do myself, okay? Um, and if we were adults, we would say it with multiple syllables and words. We would say, I do it myself. But when you're two and you have a lot of spunk and attitude, you say it like this. I do myself, okay? All right? And so this is how Lily lives her life. She can do everything herself, Okay, unfortunately, she's 32 inches tall, so she can only do so many things herself, right? But she is convinced that she can do it all herself, uh, which often gets her in trouble because she goes into the bathroom and she goes, Daddy, don't come in here. I do myself, okay? And uh, she can lock the door because she can reach the doorknob. Unfortunately, she can't reach the light, okay? So then she freaks out because it's dark and I can't open the door because it's locked, okay? So we have lots of problems at our house with a lot of attitude. Uh, she can get on the counter, she can't get off the counter, okay? I do it myself, all right? So she is very, very, very self-confident to do just about everything uh, herself. Uh, in fact, sometimes she'll, uh, she, she insists that she can dress herself in every possible way until that is that she gets the shirt stuck over her face and then just 
melts into a puddle, okay? So I do it myself is the phrase that is very common around my house, and I tell you this story because I believe many of us live our lives in the same way. We basically live our lives saying, I do myself, okay? Now, we would never say that because we're adults, okay? But the way that we live our lives is oftentimes, I can do it myself. We are very self-sufficient. We don't need help from other people. We don't need help from God. In fact, we'll tell him, not verbally, but just in the way we live, that uh, we don't need him because we've got this handled. Now, of course, there's exceptions to that. There's the big things that we, we break down or we go to our knees, but those are just the big things. For most of life, 99% of the time, oftentimes we, we basically live like my daughter Lily. I can do it myself. I want to show us and maybe, maybe pop that bubble in your life because it's been popped in my life recently. And I want to show you that through a, a theme that I see in Scripture. And I want to look at you, with you uh, at Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Solomon wrote this in the Old Testament. It says this, Unless the Lord builds the house... The builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Let me point out a couple of interesting things from this passage. First off, God's work does not make our effort unnecessary, but rather it makes it effective. Let me say that again. God's work does not make our effort unnecessary, but rather makes it effective. Now, when you would normally read this text, you would say, okay, he must must have misspoken. He must have meant, unless the Lord helps you to build the house, the the builders labor in vain. But actually, it's very clear. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain, unless... The Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. This is a fascinating passage because God is given credit for doing something that the people are supposed to do, meaning he's intricately involved in their day-to-day lives, whether they give him credit for it or not. And so this is much like my opening story with my daughter where we just think we do it ourselves. We can do it all on our own. But Scripture tells us actually Unless the Lord is intricately involved in what we do, our hopes of actually accomplishing things, anything worth with eternal value, is, is very minimal. Uh, additionally, at the end of that text, uh, he talks about sleep, and he talks about anxiousness. In vain you rise early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those that he loves. I mean, you, you guys live in the suburbs, so, I mean, it's never like you would get up early or go to bed late or be anxious about your job or anything like that. I'm sure that would never happen in this room, right? But the reality is, God tells us through his word, he grants sleep to those that he loves. The point of this is, just watch and see what God could do even while you sleep, even while your effort is not at work and not in your family, when you you know that human beings have to spend a third of our lives sleeping? How, that's such a bummer, right? Like we just can't keep going. We're not robots. It teaches us to, to, to say, God, you have to sustain this thing. If I'm sleeping, I'm not in control. You're in control. And additionally, of course, in the Old Testament, this meant take a day off. Take a Sabbath. Trust me. 
I can do more while you're resting and sleeping than you can do in a week of anxious work. Because, as I said at the beginning, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. This is just fascinating to me. Because so often, I'm the one doing it. I'm the one working hard. I'm the one trying to parent. I'm the one trying to figure out this marriage. I'm doing it. We don't realize that we need God doing even the little things with us. We need to give him credit in all things in our lives. Now, of course, we have a role to play. It's not like we just sit back and and chill. So I go out to lunch a lot with uh, different pastors and people in my church and and things like that. And I I oftentimes go to restaurants that I probably shouldn't go to and uh, uh, based on this area here. And so... um, when we sit at, at lunch together, of course, you know, we have to pray before the meal, right? And so uh, you bow your heads together, and, and if you guys have ever said a prayer like this, it's very common, Lord, please bless this food to my body. You ever heard something like that before? You ever said that before, right? Well, here's the deal, okay? Most of the food that I put in my body is unblessable, okay? All right? Um, <clears throat> and I, I can't expect him to change the structure of that as it goes from my mouth to my stomach, okay? I'm not giving them anything to work with here, okay? Um, so I have a role to play, most certainly, but I need to give him credit where credit is due, where he's working in it. So another way to say it is this. We are active, but God is the decisive actor, okay? We're active, yes, but God is the decisive actor. J.I. Packer has a great quote. He says it this way. It is, his reg- it is his way regularly to withhold his blessings until his people start to pray. But if you and I are too proud or lazy to ask, we need not expect to receive. God will make us pray before he blesses our labors in order that we may constantly learn afresh that we depend on God for everything. You know, sometimes it, we could wonder, why isn't he answering me? Why doesn't he do this? Why has my life gone uh, to the left when I thought it was going to the right? Well, maybe, maybe it's because we didn't acknowledge him in our prayer lives. And even the little things, of course we do it in the big stuff, but what about the little things? Martin Luther said, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. How active are we in prayer? If you really deep down believe that prayer changes everything, I think we would live life differently. You see, the way that you pray reveals what you believe about God. You only need him in the big stuff, only that 1% of time, when 99% of the time you can handle life on your own, reveals what we believe about God. And about us, we believe we're self-sufficient. We can handle it on our own at work, at school, and parenting, and marriage, finances, whatever it might be. I can do it. I can handle it. Rather than acknowledging, no, I I need you in all areas of my life. I'm not self-sufficient in anything apart from you. I need you. Scripture loves to tell us how dependent we are on God. I, I think you guys have been through the book of Acts over the last few years here at Renovation. I was just reading recently in Acts chapter 12, the beginning of the church and uh, Peter gets in trouble for sharing the gospel, and he gets thrown into prison. And Luke, the author of Acts, writes it this way. I think it'll be on the screen. Acts chapter 12. After arresting him, who's Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. 
Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, so Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, in your Bibles, that's the end of the paragraph. There's a break in the thought, okay? I love this last phrase because Luke is setting us up to show who gets the credit for the miracle. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They're setting us up. The Bible writers, they set us up to show who gets credit for all things that take place. Here's who gets credit. Immediately what happens, Peter's sleeping in prison and these chains fall off of him and he walks out of jail, unharmed, untouched. And then he wakes up and he thought he was dreaming. But God rescued him from prison. But Luke wants to make clear who rescued him from prison. God did. Because the church was earnestly praying to God for him. You see, here's the theme. We are far more dependent on him than we oftentimes like to admit. And we need to be. But we're too self-sufficient most of the time. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says it this way. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Man, if you just start, if you get this theme in your head, you can't unsee texts like this when you're reading your Bible. It's just such a theme that I can't, I can't pass over anymore. He's working through me, my labors, my work, whatever I'm doing. It's not, it's not trivial. It's not in vain. It's, it has purpose, but the purpose behind it is that somebody is orchestrating things behind the scenes. Somebody's working on my behalf, and that is God is working in and through even the little things. And really, to be effective at anything that we do, eternally effective, we need his help. John fifteen five, a famous one here. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer is the conduit through which we access this power. Prayer is the conduit through which we access this kind of power. You say in your life, you say, I just wish I had more power to to be a better mom or be a better dad, to, to be a better employee, to be a better neighbor, do what you do. I'm telling you today that prayer is the conduit through which we access that power. And if we choose not to, we will cut ourselves off from that source of power. A few years ago, I was uh, trimming my bushes. I had borrowed a hedge trimmer from my brother-in-law, and I was going to town, okay, all right? Like, um, these were some beautiful bushes, okay? And I was just mowing through it. I think I had my headphones in, and I was just going to town. Like, Country Living was going to come and take pictures of this place. The house looked amazing, okay? I was about halfway done with the project, and all of a sudden, I lost power, just completely. Just the thing's dead. Like, I'm pulling the trigger, and I got, there's nothing. And uh, because my brother-in-law's cheap, don't tell him I said that, uh, he, he borrowed me an uh, uh, electric trimmer, which means it had an extension cord with it, okay, rather than a gas trimmer, which he should have done. And, um, and, and so what had happened is uh, my extension cord was the same size as a branch that I was cutting. But what I did is just zipped right through that thing, because this... I was going to town, okay? And I zipped right through my extension cord. And all of a sudden, the power is just gone. There is nothing left. There's nothing I can do to try to restart this thing. The power is gone. I have cut off 
the power supply. And I challenge you today that that is how it is if we choose not to pray. If we choose not to be in constant communication with God, we have cut ourselves off from a power that is available to us. And this means that we also need to trust God. We need to trust God when the answer is no. When the answer is not what we wanted it to be. Because if we're going to trust him in all the little things, and if you're going to do it, kind of what I'm saying that I think scripture tells us as far as he's actively involved in all the details of our lives, that we got to trust God even in the little things. And we got to trust God even when he says no. The great theologian Garth Brooks said it this way, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Thank you to the country people in here. (laughs) Going back to my opening analogy with my daughter. When she says, I do it myself, I do it myself with her, with her attitude. She's here. Don't, don't call her out on that. Um, she's not only being disrespectful to me, that's secondary. The, the problem is that she's hurting herself. She's hurting herself because she's not getting the access to the dad that she needs help from. Because she's so self-sufficient and of course, you know, as a parent, you, you want your kids to grow in self-sufficiency, but she's two, okay? You want them to grow in it, but it's the attitude of, I can do it myself, that gets us in trouble, and it actually hurts us because we're not accessing the power to change our lives that's available to us. Instead, Scripture says, like in Matthew chapter 6, we should come to God as a child goes to their father... And the father is eager to give what the child asks. That's the way scripture presents our relationship with God. He's a dad that wants to give you what you ask for. Now, of course, it may not always happen the way that you ask for it, but he wants you to ask in the little things and in the big things. Don't cut yourself off from the power by being far too self-sufficient. Rather, acknowledge that if anything is going to have real value in life, it's going to be from his hand. There's a story of one of my, one of my favorite pastors is uh, Charles Spurgeon, who lived 120 years ago, kind of the first megachurch pastor, if you will. He preached to over 10 million people in his lifetime. His average weekend audience was 10,000 people, mind you, without a microphone, okay? And he had this huge, huge church in London, And there's a story that goes like this. Some people came to visit his church. They were in town for the weekend. They wanted to visit the famous Charles Spurgeon and his church. And they visited, and he met them at the front doors. And before they went in, he said, hey, would you guys like to see uh, the heating plant of this church before we go in? It was July when he asked them the question, so they were like, the heating plant to the church. Okay, sure, but it's Charles Spurgeon, and he's famous, so you got to do it. So... What he did was he took him down to the boiler room of his church, the basement kind of underneath the massive auditorium. And uh, as he went down there, he showed these guests 500 people huddled in the basement of the church praying for the effectiveness of what would happen above them in the auditorium. And Charles Spurgeon said, you want to know what heats this place? You want to know what makes this place run? It's not the lights. It's not the 10,000 people. It's not the amazing show. It's what happens actually right underneath this stage because there's 500 people that are praying that what I say would be effective. It doesn't excuse our work, but it makes our work effective. 
And, and I think if we can get this into our heads, then we would pray for a change. Then we would pray for a change. We would pray both as a change in our lifestyle, but we would pray for changes in our lives differently. differently. We would pray for our neighbors differently. We would pray for our communities differently. We would pray for this church differently. If we really believed that God is active in those prayers and our only hope is dependence on him. So a couple takeaways as I land the plane here. Number one, if you're not a Christian, consider what I've said and the life that you're living and I ask you this question, are you lacking power and purpose in your life? Are, do you ever feel like there's, just some, there's something more, or I, I can do 99% of the things in life, but I just, I'm lacking power to actually fix this, beat this, change this. Maybe you haven't tapped into a power that's greater than you, and maybe it's time to try that. Maybe it's time to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ where you have 24-7 access to power and change that actually works. If you are a believer, I challenge you with this. Let's pray not just in the bad times, but in all times. A week ago, uh, I got a message that there was a, a girl in our church. She's 27 years old, has a little boy. Went in because she was pregnant and feeling kind of dizzy. And instead of uh, that being the answer, she found out that night she has leukemia. She's in our small group. Now, in those moments, we hit the floor and we pray. Because there's something about human nature that says, this is huge. This is too big. We need God to show up and do the miraculous. We need her to be healed and changed. And if he uses doctors to do it, then great. But he needs to do it. But we don't do that on a day-to-day basis, do we? You don't do that when you're going to your meeting at work, when you're trying to parent your children, when you're trying to get along with a spouse that you barely see because you work too long and life is crazy. We just don't do that on a day-to-day basis. We do it in the big things, but we very, uh, not often enough do we do it in the little things. Thirdly, Let's acknowledge that our activity in the world is necessary. We need to work. We need to do our part. But when we acknowledge God's work through our prayers, we can be far more effective. I noticed your statement around this place is changed by God to change the world. That doesn't happen on our own. It happens when we tap into a power source that's a lot greater than us. I challenge you to do it more often than you have been. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this theme in Scripture, that you are actively involved in our lives. You are not passive. We have our role to play, but you most certainly have your role to play. So we trust you in that, God, and we ask that you would make our prayers effective that our work would be eternally effective in anything that we put our hands to because we first submitted it to you and we give you complete credit for that. God, drive us to our knees in prayer, not just in the big things, but in the little things. Help us to realize we need access, we need to be plugged into the source, and we need your help in all of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.